0: Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Well, I'm going to preach out of the Bible tonight. Is that okay? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read out of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. For whatever is hidden, say hidden, is meant to be disclosed, say disclosed. Mm -hmm. And whatever is concealed, say concealed, is meant to be brought out into the open, say open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, Jesus continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise for that? Incredible passage. High five someone before you sit down. So good. Well, today is Building Our Future Sunday it is both a sacred and a significant day in the life of our church. Every year we have Building Our Future Sunday. If you've never been part of Building Our Future before, maybe this is the first time checking out our church, Um, you need to know that Building Our Future Sunday is the one Sunday a year where we set aside across our calendar year where we collectively sow financially and generously and sacrificially into the future of our church. Because I my revelation is that everyone needs to have the understanding that we're not here today because some fairy godmother waved her wand some time ago and ta-da bang suddenly all of this happened and bang suddenly you know we've got all the resource we've got but every single person engaging with and participating with church today is only here because someone in the past sowed into what we're enjoying right now in the in the present and it would be completely hubris of us to think that we're suddenly, by some awesome cosmos, cosmic event, that we're entitled to all of this because of our born privileged awesomeness. We're not. How many of you know that every single one of us are here because we are literally standing on the floor that the previous generation's ceiling yeah, has right. been built by what they paid for sacrificially? So this passage here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches something that required mature ears to hear. Jesus was uh, unpacking a deep theological premise, and I get a gut feeling every time I read the Gospels that Jesus liked to say things that, that, that disturbed and made people feel uncomfortable. How many of you know that? If you read the Gospels, Jesus liked to say things that made people feel a little bit uneasy. Right here, he's teaching about something that required mature ears to hear, because he's talking about how things that are hidden in the course of time one day will be disclosed or uncovered. Things that are concealed will one day be revealed. And then he uses the metaphor about the man that scatters seed over time. Then there's a crop that grows, which he takes a sickle to, to harvest, etc. What Jesus was trying to convey out of Mark chapter 4 to the early hearers, that it's incumbent upon all believers to understand that the future will reveal everything about our present choices. That's really what he's trying to say, that the future will reveal everything about our present choices. Choices, it's very sobering to note that Jesus actually says that the days to come will bear the fruit of the decisions that I make. Wow. Yeah. The decisions you make. The years ahead will reveal the effects of the choices we make today. And so for the next few minutes, I want to fix your mind on this thought. What will time reveal? Yeah. What will time reveal? There is something very sobering about time, isn't it? How many feel like you're getting older? I've been looking in the mirror lately and, oh man, gee, I'm I'm, I'm looking older. There's something very sobering about time. Time is this construct of the measure of the continuum of our lives. It's measured in decades and years and months and weeks and days and certainly hours. Minutes. Seconds. Y'all just got older the last 20 seconds I started clicking. (laughs) Right? Every single living, breathing being lives within the context of time. Only God lives outside of it, but every single one of us lives within the context of time. No matter whether you're rich, you're poor, whether you're opinionated or you're quiet, whether you're a pain in the neck to people living around you or you're a living legend, this is what I know. We all live in the window of time. And the question that I ask myself around the season of Building Our Future every year is simply this, what will time reveal about us? People say time reveals all things. I'm not so sure about making absolute statements like that. But this we can be sure that what we do now in this time will one day be revealed in the future. On Days Like Building Our Future, I want to pose a question that I pose to my own self and I ask my own heart these questions. What will time reveal about me at the end of my life across the passage of time? What will time reveal about the choices that I've made, the decisions I've come to and the priorities I've had? What will time reveal about what we did or didn't sow into? What we did or didn't expend our lives doing? For what time reveals across time is rarely the temporal things but always the eternal things. What time will reveal is whether there has been a presence in some present time in our lives where we've sown into things that go beyond our own lifetime. It's not an accident that biblical truth was often conveyed in conversations in the Bible using agricultural metaphors. Jesus himself used things like seed and soil and sprouting and fruiting and pruning and harvest. Jesus himself, who was a carpenter, would use agricultural or farming analogies because in the First century, early hearers were agricultural minded and they got it and understood it straight away. And here in Mark chapter four, he says that there is a man who scatters or sows a seed into the ground. Seed was an important biblical symbol. It was used a lot to convey spiritual truth. You need to understand that the early hearers, when they heard the word seed, they understood at its basic form. It always represented something valuable, something precious. I have here in my hand a little capsule Clear glass, glass capsule in it is a little mustard seed. It was a gift given to me by a prophetic friend of mine by the name of Gary Morgan. And it was a gift and, and it, it was very meaningful to me. It says here, faith like a mustard seed, Matthew 17 20. He's written it on the top of this little capsule. And um, seed in the Bible represents something that is very valuable or something that is very precious. So basic hermeneutics, which is the, the basic skill of interpreting Bible, would equate seed with money or something that is of value to you. It's very correct. It's a right way to look at it. It's very powerful. But the nuance of seed goes actually far deeper than that. The early hearers understood that what seed represented. If you had seed, you had choice. If you had seed, you actually had choice. Why is finance valuable to us? Well, it is valuable to us because it represents choice. Our money, our choice on what to do with it. Seed is seed. For as long as it stays in your bank account, it remains as seed. But what we do with it, what it becomes, that's our choice. Come on now. That's why Paul tells this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, or therefore bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness he being god supplies seed to the sower therefore bread for food here's the choice god supplies everything in seed form if you have a means of earning some kind of income right now there is some way where money is deposited into your bank account whether because of centrelink or whether because of your employer whatever that is you have seed and if you have seed you have choice paul says god gives us seed seed comes from god and with that seed, he gives us a choice to turn that seed into one of two things. One, bread for food, or secondly, harvest for the future. That choice is a choice we get to make. That's why the early hearers, when they saw the word seed, they understood seed was, it meant far more than something valuable or precious like resource and money. It meant that the person that had seed had choice. And catch, catch this, only time will reveal what you've decided to do with your seed. You can choose today to turn seed into bread for food, which is to be eaten today, or to turn it into a harvest for the future. And if you choose today to turn seed into bread for food, I can tell you in the next 24 hours, your toilet bowl will tell you what you did. Because bread does not last beyond just maybe a day or a day and a half, depending on how good your guts are. But when you sow seed, and you decide that I'm gonna turn it into eternal things, time will tell, you don't know the passage of time, but the Bible does say that these things that are concealed, put into the ground, one day it'll come, but that will be exposed and that will be revealed. I need a resounding amen from you, church. If we have seed, we have choice. I get to decide today what my future will reveal when I've sowed it in the quiet of my heart when I've sowed it as unto God, when I've sowed it into the soil of the kingdom, one day, whatever is concealed or obscured and done in secret, like we will tonight, one day, if not on this side of eternity, on the other side of eternity, God will lay it there before all. Seed represents choice. It's now that we understand Psalm 126, this beautiful poetic ode to this agricultural metaphor of sowing seed. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 126 verse 5, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Some of you are going, what is that? That's like too artsy for me. It's like some fancy spoken word. You know what I'm talking about? Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. What does that even mean? Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Again, let's apply some basic Bible interpretation. Ancient Middle Eastern cultures were primarily agricultural, and so so much of life as they know it finds its framework of understanding from the land and and what nature provides. Makes sense to you? The English translations use seed and grain in interchangeable uh, uh, form. It was one and the same for them. It was, in terms of imagery, it was one and the same. That's why John chapter 12, verse 24, the English interpreters said this. "Unless Jesus said, unless a grain of corn falls into the ground, so grain, it dies and remains as a single seed. So grain farmers would reap a harvest of crop of of grain, you know, barley, wheat, corn, whatever that is. And they were then faced with the first level of choice. They'd reap a harvest and they would get all of this, this crop, if you like, this, this grain, this seed. Then they would then decide what to do with it. The first level of choice would be, I would apportion a, a portion of that to the grain offering. I would apportion a portion of that to the tithe for the storehouse. I would then apportion a portion of that to be given to the poor. This next large portion here, we're going to process so it can be sold uh, for, for money or we can eat it ourselves. And then there would be another portion where they would store up in a seed form in barrels for the shed. That seed that they store up for the shed is for sowing. Makes sense to you? And so as the year would progress and they would live their lives, especially through those long winters, these farmers would realize that the food would run out in their pantries and in their homes. Those winters would start to get long. They would then be faced with a second level of choice with seed. Do we go in and access the seed for sowing and turn it into bread so we can eat it now? Or do we stick to our convictions to sow? Makes sense to you. And now Psalm 126 starts to make sense to us because the imagery of the farmer carrying these barrels that he's accessed from the storehouse for sowing as he's sowing it and throwing it into the ground, scattering it into the ground, tears would fall, fully knowing his kids are hungry. He himself is probably not eaten or eaten meagerly. And he could so easily, he's just looking at this seed, be turning it into bread, but he knows that if he doesn't sow it into the ground, there will be no harvest next year. And so the question is today, what will we do with seed, even though it seems hard to do what is concealed, to do what's in secret, to do what matters to the kingdom. No one can see immediately because what will time reveal about our choices pertaining to our seed? Everything you see here in June 2022, time has revealed what people in June 2004 decided to do with their seed 18 years ago. We're here today because of the sacrifices of many in the past that could have accessed their own storehouses to turn their seed into bread. But I am so glad that I'm standing on a platform tonight. Come on, are you out there? Where people in 2004 sowed in tears. And only time now in our present has revealed what they did back. Then It takes a mature hearer to hear this. You're catching this tonight? It takes a mature kingdom-minded person to understand even what all of this building our future stuff is all about because being great today is something we all aspire to be. Success today is something we all naturally want to have. We want to be seen, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, to have all of this stuff in our lives and to do all of these things uh, in in our lifetime. And and, and all of that's part of being human. That's part of our own natural desire. It's all good. But I want to suggest to you today that the greatest life you could ever live is to ensure that the people that are coming after you will do better than you, come on, will go further than you, run faster than you've ever gone before. Chrissy and I live to lead a church where her best days are going to be after our leadership is done. When you tap us on the shoulder and say, PK, you're getting old now, your jokes are getting real lame, and we want someone that's younger and smarter and more talented to lead us because that time will come, hello? My prayer is that we're going to leave behind a church that's going to see more lost people found, more disciples made, and more nations reached than when we were here. And so it should be because that's the way the kingdom works. You know, the book of Joshua accounts for the life of Joshua. How many of you have heard of Joshua? Joshua was this incredible leader that led the nation of Israel through some of its most spectacular season in in history. If you actually read the book of Joshua, it is packed full of all of of battle exploits and conquests and victories. It's actually peerless in, in, in recording all of the incredible successes of a people group or a a leadership group of Joshua and his captains. It was actually incomparable, barring maybe 1 and 2 Samuel, which records the life of David. But Joshua was a book it was so chockers full of the incredible exploits and successes of this man by the name of Joshua, his captains, and his entire army and the people of Israel. And, you know, at the end of Joshua's life is recorded in the book of Judges. The book of Judges says this in Judges chapter 2, verse 8: And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's a long life, hello. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Very clear that Judges chapter 2. Chronicles, the end of Joshua's life. If you read the book of Joshua itself, it's an incredible book. Now, you would have thought after reading the book of Joshua that the book of Judges would say stuff about the end of Joshua's life like, man, Joshua led an entire next generation of leaders that honored God, that built places of worship, that declared the mighty works of God from one generation to the next, like they said in the Psalms, so on and so forth, but it did not. The book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 9, as we said, we read, they buried him in the land of his inheritance. And then verse 10, just one verse later, it says this. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Within one generation, all the great successes and exploits were forgotten. Y'all think I'm joking when I say that The Christian faith is only one generation away from extinction. He was Joshua, and you would have thought that he would have, in his lifetime, being so successful, would have naturally taken for granted or been entitled to a brilliant legacy of the next generation coming through. But I can tell you now, time has revealed that even though Joshua was successful, and this is not to take away the power of the book of Joshua, but it has revealed that in time, he did not sow into the next generation. He did not invest into the next year doing better than him. In fact, what it did record in Joshua in Judges chapter 2 was that the next generation had forgotten completely who the God of Israel was. I think that the enemy has always wanted to go after next generations. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? The enemy has always wanted to go after next generations They've always wanted to go after those that are coming up after us, wanting to take them, to avert their eyes away from the Lord, take them away from the purity. Of, come on, you're out there. They're wanting to shape and, and, and corrupt the way that they think, away from the purity of, of, of loving God. And, and as we see that every generation is always a fight to retain the passing on of the goodness of God from one generation to the next. And I, 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 we, we feel that now in 2022, but you know that the, the enemy has been up to the same trick for centuries. It's been up to the same trick for centuries. And whenever we come around building our future, every year I read 1 Kings chapter 20. It's this little passage of scripture that accounts for a time in Israel's history where Israel is under attack. And it reminds me of the fight that we're in. 1 Kings chapter 20 tells us of a time in Israel's history where they were under attack by a, a, a shrewd, bloodthirsty, brilliantly strategic from military point of view, king called Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad was the king of Aram. And Ben-Hadad thought, I wanna wipe out these Israelites, these people of this God, I wanna wipe them out. So he mustered an army of 32 other kings, an alliance, that had marched up against the nation of Israel, 33 nations or tribes or regions versus one nation. That's a little unfair, you'd agree? And we pick up this account in 1 Kings chapter 20. It says here in verse 1, Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. And then he sent messengers in the city of Ahab, king of Israel. And he says this very interesting phrase. has haunted me since the first day I've read it. It says, this is what Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. Here is Ben-Hadad, and before he's even attacked the city, he sends an emissary, a messenger, and he says, I want you to tell Ahab, the king of Israel, these two things. I have come for two things. I've come for Israel's money, their silver and their gold, and I've come for their best wives and children. See, Ben-Hadad knew that if he was to eradicate a people group entirely off of the face of the earth, He was only interested in two things, the economic potential, the silver and the gold. He was gonna take it, melt it down, defile it, and turn it into Aramean currency. And he said, I want your best wives and children. He wasn't interested in the women that were past childbearing age. He said, I want the women that can still bear kids, and I'm gonna crush their wombs. And I want your brightest kids, so we can teach them Aramean ways. Our culture. We're gonna teach them how to worship pagan gods. We're gonna teach them, we're gonna dilute their love of their God, and we're gonna instill in them Aramaean ways so they will never return back to the way that they were. Notice how Ben-Hadad could have said, but he did not to his emissary. I want you to say to Ahab, the king of Israel, I want you to give me your best philosophers. I want you to give me your best artists. I want you to give me your best creatives, your best carpenters, your best craftsmen. I want you to give me your best philosophers, your best preachers, your best intercessors, your best prophets. I want you to give me your best artists, your best musicians. I want you to give me your best politicians, your best academics. He wasn't interested in all of Israel's best now. Why? Because after one generation, they would all be dead not interested, keep them. What I will have, I'll take your money. And what I will have, I'll get your best wives, I'm gonna crush their wombs, and I will take the kids, and I will defile their way of thinking and turn them into Arameans. And the enemy has been after our next generation ever since. And you know, when we, when we come to things like building a future, you're probably saying, oh, that's a little bit dramatic, isn't it, PK? If, you, if you're thinking that today is a drive for some kind of fundraising, Keep your envelope, rip it up. You're you're not a part of this. But if you're here and you understand that it is a sacred moment that we do something with our seed, come on, are you out there? And you wanna say, God, this is a prophetic act for me that we're gonna build our future. Come on, for the sake of those that are in those next rooms, come on. 18 years later, I'm so glad that people in 2004 decided what they were gonna do with seed and across 18 years, what time has revealed. As I look back through the corridors of time, I see in this room so many amazing men and women now in their late 20s and 30s that were ones in rooms like that. Thank God time has revealed that people in the past have done the right thing. Come on. I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for it. I'm so glad. See, the reason why building our future is so important is because if we don't sow into the future of the church, the future of the kingdom, the future of the gospel, do you think the government will do that for us? Do you think Netflix and Nike and Apple will do that? I'll tell you what, all those corporations are interested in, they're interested in, all they want is for you to turn your seed into bread. That's all they're interested in. That's all they're interested in. in. But time will reveal. That Nations Church, you and I, are people that made wise choices with our seed before God. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.